All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jared Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, and welcome to our next episode. Today, I have the great privilege and honor of introducing you to Maxwell Rudolph. He's an author, uh, an army veteran, a lover of cyberpunk and all things speculative, a prolific beta reader for his fellow authors, and a secret Warhammer 40k addict. Warhammer, what's that? I think that's where people play with pixie sticks on boards or something. Is it? Is it little dolls? Yes, like little dolls. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? I mean, I mean, no, not at all. <laughs> Plastic dolls. <laughs> you mean it's not dolls? No, man. Oh, okay. And, and, really. and send <laughs> the toys, though. Let's be honest. Send all of your hate mail to Chris at Chris. <laughs> 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 I've seen it played. I've honestly never played it. I know I'm missing out. It looks like a lot you of fun, but out. it looks really expensive too. It is and complicated, man. If you don't have someone who could walk you through it, it uh, well, the the new edition they lowered it to four pages, so the rules are pretty simple. Oh. I bought it a couple years ago because my son was interested, and then he lost interest after I spent all that money. Man, I regret that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember there were like slide rules and angled things and. Like, oh, you played the earlier edition, man. They they simplified it. It's really simple now. They don't do that stuff. Oh, uh, because I need a Barney style, man. You remember I was in the infantry. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, normally what we do when we introduce um, the guest is in addition to telling who they are, we like to tell how we first met them or became aware of them. Sometimes it's going to be as simple as, yeah, I found them on Google. Uh, but for you, um, <laughs> I know Max and I, just for those that are listening, uh, we met on many of the professional writing groups that we're both in, uh, you know, the they're all over the face pages if you're looking for them. Um, and, you know, I was shocked that there was another uh, another veteran out there, you know, as we were sort of feeling our way out in this this brave new world of the Amazons. Um, and so he was one of the, the first other veterans I met. He was super friendly and, and very helpful. And we just sort of started nerding out over, uh, over you know, the veteran stuff and books and comparing fandoms and you know, the religion of Star Wars versus Star Trek. You never committed, by the way, Maxwell. <laughs> right. Are you ever going to? Are What's you that? ever going to commit to the one true religion? No, man, probably not. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me you're not even a brown coat. I like Firefly. If I had to choose between Star Wars, Star Trek, and Firefly, I'd probably choose Firefly. That's right. We get a pass today. <laughs> you, can okay. on, you can stay on my island. <laughs> I think the day I met Maxwell, I'd seen him in the in the Dead Robot Society Facebook group, but I asked him to to beta read a short story. And I am still recovering from the beta read. No. He way, yes, he has a way of explaining things that is right, is accurate, but uh, cares nothing about feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I had my I learned a lot. <laughs> they let you keep feelings in the Marine Corps, the Army, they take them away at the NCO Academy. Well, I, I got them back once I got my DD214. Dang, they you didn't know. put mine the back Corps, in the duffel bag. <laughs> the Marine Corps wanted you had if to have feelings, they would have issued you some. Exactly. <laughs> but I tell you, I learned a ton from that beta read. 
and I even came back for more. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah, well, I, you know, of course, I want everyone to succeed, and the best way to make people succeed is just to be blunt, basically. And if you, you know, pussyfoot around or try to brown nose or just say things that aren't true, it's not doing, it's not helping the person, it's not doing them justice. So I just prefer right. the blunt approach. Yeah, if, if, a, if a beta reader, someone who, for those who don't know, a beta reader is someone who reads a story before it goes to publication to kind of give you their feedback. Or in Maxwell's case, give you all the feedback and the spelling corrections and the the proper way to structure a sentence and structure a paragraph and words you should not use and everything else. Um, but if if a if a beta reader tells you, yeah, man, that was a cool story, you learned nothing, right? And if you have a friend or yeah, a close friend or especially relative, especially a spouse, do some beta reading for you and they're not going to be truthful because they don't want to hear you whining about it all the next day where someone like master Rudolph, he's so far away. He can just click mute me and I'm done. <laughs> wow. That's harsh, man. <laughs> Clearly you've never met my wife. She's harsh too. I don't know what you're talking about. Your spouse being nice to you. What universe is this? <laughs> well, okay. When we're, when we're talking about books, because you know, I know you babied this thing and you spent a lot of hours on this thing. Yeah, this thing is great. Wink. She doesn't do that. Man, I'm missing out. That's what normal people no. get? Ouch. <laughs> I think that's what most people get, yeah. Man, I guess I better shut up and hope she doesn't listen to this episode, huh? <laughs> I guess so. Or buy a new couch. I got to get a comfortable couch. All right. But we, right. Uh, joking aside, so, you know, we've talked about and introduced the audience, Maxwell, how we met you. So let's jump right back in to, to why we're here and talk about the, the genre of science fiction that we all love to read. So what do you love specifically about science fiction or speculative fiction, if you will? Well, I, I like a good amount of violence, to be honest. I like gunfights. I like action scenes. But I also like the in-depth speculative what-ifs but I don't want them. I don't want the technology explained. I'm not really interested in how things work because really you're making it up anyway, in my opinion. And in 200 years, the technology that you're writing about now is going to be irrelevant in probably even 50 years. Right. So I'm not interested in the whys. I like to read for story. I like to read for plot. Um, then I like to read for the, what ifs, what if this happened? And that's kind of how I started writing. Oh, that's true, because as soon as the computer's released, it's obsolete. So anything we write about, it's going to look like the old the old cathode ray tube televisions with snow on the screen. What's that? Anything we write about today in 50 years is going to look primitive. No, I was making a joke about the TV. I was calling you old. Oh. I don't, I don't remember yes, that TV. Is <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me about Betamax was better than VCR. Oh, we uh, had a beta. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a Betamax, so we had a VCR. I have a laser disc sitting above my desk. It's about a foot and a half wide. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that 8-track, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no 8-tracks, man. Come on. I did. I, I still I have about 2,000 records here. I, wow. I did the DJ thing for a number of years and I, I kept my vinyl. I love vinyl. I love the physical aspect of it. And this is a big part of my life too. music. Well, I mean, that's, that's got a retro uh, vibe that people are bringing back and saying that it sounds better. So, I mean, that doesn't necessarily make you old anymore. It could just mean you're a hipster. Uh, they weren't hipster. Yeah. I mean, that's true. There is, there, there is truth to that, but I'm not a hipster. This was before even the hipster stuff was started. This was, they didn't have CD mixing. So when I would go and, and perform as a DJ, they only had vinyl. So that's what you had to do. Cool. And you had to have two record players so you could lower one as you raise the other. So you can have a nice transition, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the turntables were actually pretty expensive. So. Back in the day. Well, They're about 550 bucks each. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot compared to CD players. Now you can get for 10 bucks. Oh, yeah. But the cool thing about vinyl is, and this is off topic from books, but I, I just think it's interesting, is that it's physical, right? So if it scratches, if you lose it, if it breaks, it's gone. With a CD, you can make another copy. With an MP3, you can copy it. 
infinitely forever. But with vinyl, it's special. Some of these records that I have, there were only 500 of them printed. And I have one of them. Oh, right. In the world. True. Uh, nostalgia. But it does, it does drive home the point you mentioned with the technology earlier that, you know, what is science fiction today is, you know, historical object tomorrow as it's already been surpassed. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, in fact, we've met some extra. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was say, we mentioned that even when they talked about the uh, the tech episode that they came a couple episodes before this with the uh, the tricorder prize that was started to try to recreate the tech that was seen in the original Star Trek um, that that Bones had. Mm-hmm. Did it work? Uh, they actually awarded some prizes, and they've, they've said it's worked. It's in the uh, lab testing now. Oh, that's awesome. So, I cannot wait. Eventually, these things are just going to be for sale at, at grocery stores right alongside the aspirin. You're going to be able to yeah, pick up a tricorder. Right. In 20 to 50 years, all that stuff will be just available at Walgreens I mean, yep. or whatever. At this <laughs> point, you can get like the drug tests and the alcohol breathalyzer type stuff that used to be only to the government. You can buy them at the CVS or local drugstore. Man, it's, yep. it's got to be hard to be a teenager these days. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, you can't get away with anything now. Like, no. Of course, <laughs> Facebook and all that, they tell on themselves anyway. But besides that. They do. Yes, they do. So uh, off topic just a little bit. I've got a relative that's a detective in, in North Carolina. And that's one of the things he mentioned was that that most of their investigation at this point just ta- it starts with just going through their their Twitter and Facebook feeds. And he said, like, they solved one murder recently because the lady had a picture of herself wearing the belt that was left at the crime scene. Wow. Wow. People don't know how to keep secrets anymore. Nope, Technology's been bad for us. Makes you wonder about the future of, uh, of privacy, which leads us into the kind of stuff you write. So why don't, why don't we get back to that, Chris? Geez, always going on these sidetracks. <laughs> right. It's always my fault. Absolutely. Okay. You were the Marine. All right. Next question. Maxwell, what's the earliest memory you have of sci-fi? What first sucked you into this genre? Uh, well, in 77, I was four, and I was in an apartment with my mom and dad, and the commercial came on for Star Wars. And I remember distinctly seeing the commercial. It's one of the few memories I have of my youth, but I remember looking at the commercial and saying to my father, I really wanted to see that. So I remember sort of going to the theater and I remember seeing a few scenes and the Darth Vader scene when he kills Obi-Wan Kenobi really scared me at the time. I feel like this is where we talk about the one true religion again. And I start saying one of us, one of us, one of us. <laughs> so that, that kind of started the whole thing. And then after that, it became, I mean, everything was Star Wars at the time. You couldn't get away from it. And I saw Blade Runner when it came out, and I didn't really understand it, but I was fascinated by the technology and the look of it and the feel of it and the style, the noir, everything about it I thought was fascinating. So, And Sean Young was amazing. She was hot. So that <laughs> also added. That helps. And just the whole feel of Blade Runner really affected me in my mind. And later on, when I read Neuromancer, it sort of had the same effect. I don't know if you've read Neuromancer or not, or William Gibson, but he's a big influence on me. I think he's one of the best authors out there, even though I don't agree with him politically and some of the things he says are wrong. When I read his material, I'm just blown away by his style. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Yeah, I've I've read Neuromancer. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to talk about your book in a little bit. I compare it to Neuromancer in quality and substance. It, it really it, it blew my mind. Thanks, man. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. I, I appreciate that a lot. You know. Yeah. All I remember about Blade Runner, as far as the original, was how much smoking there was. <laughs> I don't know why that's what stuck out. Okay, I, I I have to admit something. I'm 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 feeling the pressure. I don't think I've ever seen Blade Runner. No. So so Maxwell, have you seen the new one? I'd have twice. Yeah, I think it's an incredible film and has a lot to say about the human condition and the human spirit and about um, what it means to be a human. It's deep. You you can look at it as just a normal movie, or you can look at it upon sort of the the meta level, and that's really how you should be looking at it. Because um, Denis Deleuve, the director who did Arrival, also, which is a great film, he he conducts his films and he directs on a whole different scale, and he's looking at things 
in a higher dimension. So it's it's not just sort of eye candy, like some of these comic movies or whatever. It's not just entertainment. It's there, but there's a as a deeper meaning, and that's the film is so good, man. You got to see it. I have to check. I haven't seen the new one, so. Do you recommend he, uh, uh, Chris, the Luddite, see the first one first or start with the second one? <laughs> you have to see the first one first. Okay. Now you I am making homework. a note right now. We're, we're going to have you report see. back on that tomorrow. Uh, if I can find it, sure. So, all right. So, moving the conversation along before we bore everyone to tears. And we'll blame the Marine. Don't worry about that, Maxwell, if it happens. Um, (laughs) How did your love of the genre of speculative fiction or science fiction translate or transition into you writing novels of your own? Well, I wanted to be immortalized in words. And I wanted to give something to my daughter as a gift that I thought would be not just something you buy at the store. So I thought writing a book would be a great avenue to do that. And then that sort of snowballed into everything that I'm doing now. Hmm. And what are you doing now? Well, right now I'm editing for other people and I'm working on the sequel, which is a whole different thing. And as I'm editing, I'm looking back at my own writing and I'm seeing like the flaws and it's really almost annoying because it's like a math problem. You can't get away from it once you see it. (laughs) Well, no work is ever perfect, but I was impressed. Um, As a matter of fact, why don't you tell us about, without giving too much away, about... The novel, the Ark Principle. Is that you pronounce it the Ark Principle? Well, that's we. I pronounce it the Ark Principle. Arca. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's hard to speak. Of, it's hard to speak about without giving it away. It's sort of a edgy, nationalistic, uh, dystopian novel about people's lives and how they get along in this really oppressive society and the dangers of AI. That's basically what it's about. Well, I'll expand this, a little bit more of, of how, what I thought of it. Well, first, uh, first, this is where we insert the obligatory joke about Skynet going live. Correct. Oh, right. this is worse. This is way worse. Skynet will be a holiday compared to this thing. <clears throat> Ooh, desire so, to know more intensifies. Yes. So, I'll I, I tell, I tell you how I progressed through this book. I started reading it and I was confused. So I went back and I read the first uh, probably chapter again and then I got it. And then I decided, oh, okay, so the book's about this. Oh, no, wait. No, okay, I got it. The book's, dang. Okay, the book's, um, now that's getting really dark and scary. Oh, I got it. The book's, uh, I have no idea what this book's about. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. I got Dag Navity did it again. Every chapter, nearly, he pulled the rug out from under me. And it the story is is congruent. It falls in line. It, it's a complete story. But just when I thought I had it figured out, rug got pulled out f- from under me again. If if you listeners, if you like books that surprise you, this one will continue to surprise you. If you like books that are dark about a horrible future and you wonder how these people deal with this uh, dystopian and technology and going back to old ways and, and things, things returning that it should have been gone thousands of years ago. Ideas that is, uh, this is, this is, this is an addicting book that you'll think about for a long time. I remember, so, I remember when my review, <clears throat> <laughs> I remember I beta read parts of it and it just, I wasn't his target audience, so that's when I was like, you know, the writing is good, but I'm not your target audience, so you know, why don't you find someone who can give you useful advice? Because that's the worst thing you could do is find someone to read it for your beta reading. Like, if you're a romance reader, I don't want you beta reading my, you know, military sci-fi. You're not my target audience. So what you like, and so, but I, what I do remember is it had a very Mad Max feel to it. Uh, there is definitely an element of Mad Max in there. I love Mad Max and I love the whole post-Holocaust survival on a dune buggy and you're fighting mutants thing. I, I can't get over it. <laughs> I love it. For, yeah. For people who like William Gibson, you'll love this book. If you don't like William Gibson, you probably shouldn't bother. I would agree. Absolutely. But it's not a knockoff either. It's a It's a brand new book, possibly even a brand new genre it's hard to nail it down but it's it, it's 
the, the book cover says, in fact, I got it right here. Ugh. Book cover says a post-apocalyptic techno thriller. That's exactly what it is. What inspired you to write this story? Okay, well, this is gonna go kind of crazy, <laughs> so I'll I'll start this. You, do you know the Sim Theory? No, a little bit. Nick Bostrom is the guy who postulated that we could be living in a sim a simulation, sort of like the Matrix, and that uh, an advanced civilization would eventually make simulations, and that because of that, everything is probably a simulation. And I was like, whoa, that is a really deep theory. And Elon Musk has the same theory, and he's very scared of AI. And I started researching these different things, and I looked at Ray Kurzweil. I watched his movie, and I did some research into what he wanted to do and become immortalized and all that by sort of writing down everything about himself and how that would translate into immortality because he he wanted to bring back his father. And it got very deep. So I said, well, let's take that to the next level. I don't want it to be a simulation, though. I, I want this to be a real book. But what happens if an AI becomes so powerful, it becomes a god, and there's no differentiation between a god and an AI? I'm very afraid in real life of AI, and I think it needs to be held in a zoo. There's no way to check it because you, if one nation says we're not going to do it and there's going to be a treaty, another country is going to do it anyway. You can't stop it. But there has to be some sort of regulation and some sort of control over this because once it starts self-programming itself and achieve, and surpasses our own intelligence, there's no way to stop it. And it, you won't even know it's doing it. There's That's the problem. There's actually uh, – Orson Scott Card did a series similar to that. So The Memory of Earth was the first one. It's the uh, Homecoming saga that I really, really liked. But that, the, the god, if you would, of that, of that planet was actually an AI that was – dormant for periods of time on a spaceship so i mean it's it's definitely it's out there as an idea that it could happen and at a certain point in time with mysticism who knows i think it's happening now elon musk has a program called the open ai project and there's actually a church that's opened up with billionaires sponsoring it and they're worshiping ai right now it's happening that's right now. awesome <laughs> This is where we avoid. You know, once I read that, I was like, "There's my book right there." This is not what I want to happen, but there it is. It's right there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I don't know what you're, I don't know what's going to happen. Everyone's going to basically think, "Oh, we're just going to give power over the AI and all this," and I find that to be very dangerous. <laughs> Isn't that what the Scientologists believe? No, they're 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 about uh, aliens that basically died or something or crashed. And then their souls are inhabiting our bodies. Uh, yeah, they, they, they have this little okay. little detector that's supposed to be able to detect how many of these alien evil souls you have in your body and help you get rid of them. Yeah, it's a lie detector test. It's pretty awesome. Interesting. <laughs> I want aliens in my body. Wait, that sounded wrong. <laughs> phrasing, phrasing. <laughs> Just make sure they use ProBlube. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, family-friendly podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, that's a, the interesting premise for the series. So what inspired you? I mean, we, we talked about what Arca Asylum, or Principal, excuse me, I keep thinking about Batman Arkham Asylum, but um, we talked about what, what the premise of the story is, but what inspired you to for that specific premise? Like, wh- where did you wake up and say, aha, this is, this is the story I'm going to tell? Hmm. Yeah, instead of the journal idea, what, how'd you pull all these disparate things together and, and – and create a story out of them just by speculating, speculating what's going to happen in the future. I think my book is a very realistic possibility. That's horrifying. Once you, once you give over access and power to an AI and it's going to potentially rewrite knowledge and history and everything is lost, it becomes nebulous at that point. It has total control over culture, language and everything else. So sort of like a, uh, what's that, uh, Fahrenheit 9-11? 451. There we go. I'm sorry. That's, a, that's a, probably an influence subconsciously on my book for uh, sure. Yeah. So 
We have to be careful. There's actually a company, in, um, an insurance company, we talked about it on one of the, the tech episodes we did in Japan that had an AI that it hi- basically hired, if you would, to, to run a lot of the insurance company and ended up laying off a bunch of people because the AI took their job. Yeah, they're using IBM Watson. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I think uh, robots and AI are going to take over most aspects of jobs and that eventually, unfortunately, we're probably going to have a mandatory minimum wage so people can live because there will be no jobs. Not a minimum wage. Oh, I know what you're talking about. The, uh, oh, yeah. Some stipend that you get from the government so that you can survive. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a name for it, but my mind is going blank. Food vouchers. It's not a minimum wage because you're not actually working, but there'll be like a check that you get. Yeah, probably food vouchers and and housing vouchers and... Yeah, I can I can definitely see all that happening. I mean, what's to stop it? Ooh. Okay. Yeah, there's a name for that, but but I don't want to spend forever on the Google machine trying to figure it out. So we'll just insert witty joke and move on. <laughs> right. So what do you think was the single largest influence out of everything you've you've listed that you think colors your writing the most? In other words, the the single person that I read about, or no, the single overarching idea, because we've we've talked about there are several overlapping ideas um, in your books that that you said influenced you and things that you read. But which one do you think out of all of those was was the one? I'd probably say Ray Kurzweil. He envisions a point at which all of matter is, um, how do you call it? It's written. And it can be reprogrammed. So he envisions an AI taking over and all matter in the universe being programmed. Oh, interesting. On the atomic level. And restructured with nanobytes, nanobots, and so on. (laughs) All right, well, okay. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, take a break for our sponsor now. Hey listeners, Josh Hayes here, co-host of Keystroke Media. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Sci-Fi Shenanigans. I tell you, we're really excited about what JR and Chris are doing with the podcast and are proud to feature them as part of our podcast partner network. When you get done listening to this episode, I'd like to invite you to come check out our own podcast at keystrokemedium.com. You can find all our previous episodes and check out all the amazing authors we've had on the show. If you're free on Mondays, mark your calendars for 11 a.m. Come hang out with us as we talk to today's leading science fiction and fantasy authors and other industry professionals. We've got a great live audience who get into a lot of shenanigans of their own, as JR and Chris can attest. That's every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, live on Keystroke Media. We're going to talk about some reading, we're going to talk about some writing, and of course, everything in between. And now I'll let you get back to some more shenanigans with JR and Chris. Have a great day. So, welcome back. And the the Archie Principle is listed as book one. When do you think book two is going to be out? I know life gets in the way. <laughs> right. Definitely this year. I'm, I'm 20,000 words in, uh, and I want this one to be a little bit shorter. I think the first one was maybe a little bit too long. So I'm shooting for maybe 80,000 to 90,000 wow, How words. long was your first one? As soon as I get done editing these books. I'm how long was your it. first one? 117,000 wow, That was an easy read for, for such a long book. I, you know, one of the tricks, I think people should do this as writers, and this is just a little advice. I think people should keep their chapters short. I try to keep my chapters around 2,000, 1,500 words, 2,000 words. And I think if you do that, you can really grab them. It's like a quick scene and then done, next scene. And then you just go on from there. And and one other thing about writing, every scene should have some kind of tension or something happening. Don't write about nothing. <laughs> That's really good advice, yeah. Hey. Hey, now. I mean, what if we just want to wax poetic about the grass? The green, green grass. <laughs> that make the grass attack you with guns. <laughs> there was uh, some writer, Something. some writer who said that 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 was his his trick. Um, was that you know whenever he got stuck, it was people with guns come in the door. You know, there's something to be said for that. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you get, whenever you get stuck, blow something up. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm totally in favor of that. Yeah. And oh, here's one other thing about writing. I think people need to do this more. They need to put their characters in danger, real serious danger, over and over again. Right. Keeps attention up. 
Yeah, and and don't let go. Just hold them and keep them in danger. Have them run, you know. Have them win a few times. Have them lose, and don't be afraid to kill characters off. Kill them off. That's excellent. Okay, I mean, you got to be careful who you kill off, and you don't want to kill them off just to kill them off. But no, exactly. Of it. You have to make it count. Okay. So. Anyway, I'm not I'm not going to venture into the R.R. R. Martin thing where he just does whatever he I think he could use a little work. He has too many characters. He could cut them down. I, I like to keep it down to like five or less. But I really think um, killing characters off is a good idea. It lets you know not everyone is safe. So speaking of killing characters off, where do you see your series going? See what I did there? Wow, I've got <laughs> uh, I've got a great plot for the next one. Oh, so there's going to be at least um, three. Awesome. There's at least three. Uh, there might be five. Um, this one is more about the main characters, basically John, Captain John Rex. And it's about his ascension to the throne and him taking over the kingdom. And he, he um, launches a global scale war against all of the countries to rule. Oh, wow. So it's a war. Right. Novel. Okay. Okay. And can you see what's, I mean, you've read the book, so you probably can see what happens there, right? I can see the foreshadowing. I can see this coming up. I've, I've even beta read some of your, your second book. Right. So yeah, I can see, I can see this happening. That makes sense. It's scary. It's frightening, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> All right. So what about other books in the genre? Any plans that, uh, for, for stuff after the Arca principle? Man, I've got such a great idea. What, you know, as authors, we all get these great ideas. I want to write this. I want to write that. You know, I've got a really great idea for a young adult novel about it's sort of a romance book. It's on a ship. You've got uh, a vampire who's a captain. I don't explain how the vampires became into existence. It doesn't really matter, but it's, you know, let's say in the year 3000 or so. And most of the crew are all vampires and they use cattle um, as humans aboard the ships. And it's a pirate vessel. So they go and attack other ships to take human crew and bring them back. I don't, whenever they feed on the humans, they're going to die. And there's a girl who falls in love with the evil captain. And then there's a romance element. And then he, she's trying to change him over and, you know, there's a love triangle and all that stuff. So it's going to be more fun, more lighthearted, more, probably more accessible. So sparkles. No way, man. This is gonna, <laughs> no sparkles. I can't do it. If even if I tried, there's no way, no sparkles. Keep them away. Well, you Are know. you going to write them with an English accent? What's that? Are you going to write them with an English accent? Um, probably not, man. So no, <laughs> so no concern about switching genres. Well, it's still sci-fi. There's going to be sword fights. There's going to be gunfights. It's going to be stuff like that. Well, that's fantasy sword fights, but I guess gunfights could be. Yeah, we'll see. Well, swords are good in a ship. Mm-hmm. Lightsabers. You need to give them lightsabers. <sighs> no lightsabers. <laughs> they have class. Cutlasses. One, true one, true, one of us. One of us. <laughs> all right. All right. So, what? Um, well, we just asked that question. See, I'm, a, I'm Johnny on the spot tonight. Let me tell you. <laughs> all right. Um, well, th- this is the point where we normally say, shut up, enough shameless plugging. And we move over to what you're reading in the genre. So, what, what's up? What are you reading? Well, I just got done with a, a great book by C.T. Phil, uh, Phillips, I think his name is, called Agent G. And I, when I read it, I was looking at his sentence structure and seeing how actually he wrote. And it's a first-person book, which is not my favorite perspective. Uh, I kind of like third-person limited, but he is such a great author. And I looked at his dialogue tags, and I looked at the overall plot. It's sort of a cyber thriller set in the near future, maybe five years. It could be today. And it, it was really good. Agent G is a book that people should read. He he is a fantastic author. And I'm right now I'm rereading Neuromancer, looking at the sentence structure again after editing and writing my own book and seeing just the genius of his writing and saying, wow, this is what I need to do. This is what I don't need to do. You know what's crazy is in Neuromancer, there's actually some grammatical mistakes, which is, which is crazy. Oh, I didn't spot him. 
they're there. I could point them out, but I think they're done for style purposes. And I did that in my novel too. Once, once you prove to your audience that you can write and you understand gram, uh, grammar rules, I think you can break them at will as long as you don't spam them. So, <laughs> so which, uh, which agent G are you reading saboteur or infiltrator? Uh, the first one was that, was that saboteur infiltrator is the first one. Did you read them? No, I Googled them. Oh, they're awesome. Dude. So they're great. So whenever we mention books and stuff, we like to, um, we like to list them in the show notes so that if people wanted them, they could find them. Um, and then if they, if they like them, you know, um, Chris will insert the, uh, the affiliate links. And if they like them, you know, we get a little bit of a kickback and it helps pay for the, the hosting. Um, but anyway, just people were interested. I wanted to be able to, um, t- to point them in the right direction, but they do look interesting. So C T Charlie Tango Phipps is the name. Right. That's so anyway, so you, you're enjoying that though. Yeah. I read it in a day. Wow. Couldn't put it down. That's always encouraging. So uh, anything else you're reading? I'm um, going back over some of my college books and looking at sort of boring psychology stuff and going to incorporate some of that into my work. What, oh, uh, it's what, be even more frightening. What, uh, what boring, <laughs> what boring psychology stuff? Oh, well, towards the end of my degree, I, we started looking at, um, literary criticism. Okay. And a lot of it is nonsense. In my opinion, a lot of it is based on postmodernism and Marxist theory. A lot of it is, is indeed with Marxist theory, but there are some truths in there. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Okay. All I remember about literary criticism was when there was a scene where Robert Frost's poem, um, um, the road less traveled and they interviewed him about the deeper meaning. And he was like, Nope, I really just wrote a book about, I mean, wrote the poem about, you know, walking in the woods and I took the one with the less, with no footprints or whatever. And so that's when they came up with the theory that the author doesn't have to know that he has this deeper meaning. They decide for him. Sometimes they don't. And it's unconscious. I, I do believe that's true. I think people reveal them their true selves in their work, whether they know it or not. It's like the song Hotel California. Uh, they they interviewed the band and they, they, they said they, they were actually copying The Who and literally trying to put these random ideas together and make it into a song. They, they weren't really trying to, for any deeper meaning. I, I've listened to the song, but I don't know. Was there a, a huge deeper meaning to it, or was it just a, another you know bubblegum pop song? There wasn't really a deeper meaning, but people heard the lyrics and they put their own meaning to it, and now it's like a almost a cult classic that they just they see these things and it just in, in their mind and it blows their mind. People need to be careful not to read stuff that's not there. I mean, if they see it, I guess, you know, once the author releases the book, it does belong to the the people, which I know is kind of nebulous. But um, I guess if they want to see stuff, that, that's on them. But, but is it yeah, true? Well, the problem becomes when they try to infer that anyone who didn't see that, what they only they saw is wrong. And I, right. I mean, if it has yeah. deeper meaning to you because X, Y, and Z, then then it means that to you, but that doesn't necessarily mean it translates. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have authors who, who can write really deep meaning and they know what they're doing and it's, it's put in there, but it's not overt. And that's kind of what I like to do. I don't want to hammer, you know, my readers over the head with stuff, but there is meaning in all my books. There's humanity in there. You know, all that kind of stuff. There's deep meaning. There should be. I think every every piece of fiction should have a, a meaning, something deep, something to say about the human condition. I just want people to have fun and escape. <laughs> Same thing. If you can if you can do those two things, I think you win. You don't want uh, one or the other, in my opinion. I don't, I'm not really in favor of these comic book movies. I think they're kind of mindless, too mindless for me. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a place for mindless. <laughs> that's my 40k hole i go in there <laughs> i don't know I, so you're right i can't argue with that i escape in 40k i guess that's my escape okay well anyway okay. I, so I, I, you're not the type of guy who would watch the simpsons no i can't watch the simpsons and stuff like that i don't watch stuff like yeah. that. yeah 
Yeah, it's too lowbrow for him. That's right, Gr. It's more for you and me, right? I more for uh, I tried to I tried to watch uh, Rick and Morty. I can see the humor. I just I just can't do it, man. That's not for me. All right, send your hate mail to Maxwell Rudolph at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I know. Shame, shame, shame. So, so what genre do you think you read the most? I mean, well, I should say subgenre of science fiction. Hmm. Anything with guns, man. It's got to have guns. It's got to have action. I, I can't stand these slow plotting novels where nothing happens and it's sci-fi just for the sake of being sci-fi. Man, you got to throw some action in there. You know, give me some guns. So, Mill Mill SF, then, huh? Yeah, definitely. So who, who else? As long as it, as long as it's not just pure action. I've read a lot of forty k books where it's just raw action and there's nothing else. There's no characterization or plot, and those are those are blah. Forget those. <laughs> I feel sympathy though for the people that write the uh, the Warhammer 40k books because man, those those fans are nitpicky as all get out. Yes. Oh yes. What do you mean the scratch was on the left trigger guard? No, it's on the right, clearly. <laughs> so there are some rabid fans, and they will tear apart people in a heartbeat. I mean, I, I, I but the game company. I'm I was going to say, I mean, uh, you, you want people to be that passionate about it. I, I respect their passion, but, but man, it's got to be hard walking into that. What they did in Black Library is the guys who put those out as their side company. As they said, basically, the, they call it the fluff, right? Which is the sort of the background. It's nebulous. So there's nothing concrete. Everything is sort of from a certain perspective. And that's how they get around that. Yeah. I, I can't remember. Oh, I'll remember his name, but there was a. A guy that wrote um, the, some of the Space Wolf books that came to RavenCon the last two years, and he's written in um, Star Trek, Warhammer, and Star Wars. And he said that of the three, the Warhammer was the hardest. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, Star Trek would be a whole lot more simple. And probably a lot less action as well. How would you like to be one of these authors who did the extended universe and then they just destroyed it? They said it no longer exists. Well, I, I know why they did that. That does make sense. So basically, right. they, I got the impression that they just said yes to everything with uh, with the Star Wars. And so you end in every, but nobody wanted to read about the average Stormtrooper Bob. They all wanted to read about, um, you know, Luke and Han. And, and, and so basically you end up with a situation where they're everywhere at once. And so how do you build canon around that? It becomes very difficult. Well, wait a minute. How can he be in, you know, star system a, when he was in star system B two weeks mm -hmm. before that, and it takes three weeks to travel or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. I mean, it does. I, I could see why they had to do it. It wasn't, um, wasn't maintained as well. Yeah, I could definitely see that. If you're, there was like these Clone Wars, which I think was separate, right? Right. That was the Disney. That was post. Yeah. That's when he sold it off. Already. I think Disney already owned it when they did the Clone Wars. Hmm. Did you ever play those uh, computer games, the Old Knights of the Old Republic? I did not. No, me neither. They're pretty. My good. first game system was an Xbox. After I got out of the army. I'm not sure if they have it for that. It was. If you ever get in the mood, they're probably ten bucks or five bucks right now, but they're very good. The stories are good, gameplay's good. It's interesting. I, I just looked it up while we we're talking. The uh, it was Lee Leitner or Harry Heckle that was at the um, RavenCon. Real friendly guy, but he was telling us about uh, part of the the um, the panel was about writing in other people's universes, and that was the first one I listened to. It it was right when I started writing for Tim, so I I attended the panel. And that was one of the questions someone asked him, which uh, which of the three universes or whatever, however many it was that he wrote in was the hardest fan wise to please. And he was like, yeah, the, the 40K guys, they're they're It's a religion. It is. I, I remember in, in um, oh, I guess sometime last year, right after we met, I posted a, somebody did a, a video on the analyzing 40K and I posted that and I had like 20 comments nitpicking the post from, you know, this YouTube channel before it, you know, before I'd even logged back off. They were, they were hardcore. I respect that though. I really do. That's what, yeah, that's what makes the world go around. And, you know, for the guys writing it, if they weren't that much of fans, eh, they wouldn't be eating. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good point. <laughs>
And and lastly, on the same topic, if you're going to read any two authors for the 40K Black Library stuff, read Aaron Dombowski and Dad Abnett. Let's just read those two guys, and I think you're good. So uh, just so the the listeners know, we will um, get his recommendations on which two books, and we'll put them in the show notes with a link uh, for whatever you're you're, um, recommending. There we go. Sorry, my my uh, cool. nine year old decided he was going to come and, and give me a hug. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so, but yeah, the um, the the show notes we'll get them after we record. We'll get those links and we'll post them in for you if you want to see what uh, what Maxwell's recommending. So, speaking of Warhammer forty k, the um, you mentioned earlier that you play. We've just gotten done talking about some of the books, so let's talk about the RPGs themselves. Um, Warhammer obviously already has their own RPGs, the tabletop games um but other than warhammer 40k which um universe of literary science fiction would you like to see get an rpg that doesn't have one well that's that's tough because they've almost made everything right i i thought there was not a dune rpg i would have liked dune is one another one of my favorite universes just the first four books probably the rest of it you could ignore <laughs> especially the the new ones that a son wrote i think are horrible but there's already a Dune RPG, so I was like, oh, that's done. Uh, and you can adopt Blade Runner for just about everything. So I'm not even sure. I would like to see Shadowrun done in a bigger, you know, just more of that. I think Shadowrun is interesting. A fusion between fantasy and magic and so on with cyberpunk, I think, is a really interesting mix. So you have orcs with machine guns and elves casting spells and stuff like that. I think yes, that's but cool. would they have Thaka? No, they don't. <laughs> so uh that was just a joke because the i've I've played i live in a a military town so there's lots of navy bases around me in in hampton roads and so i've tried as an adult when i found out about dungeons and dragons um i i started in two different groups and both times we got one session and then the the dungeon master had to leave but both times were in the 2.5 i believe for the D D. So they were like, there was an easier version. I felt cheated. There was 3.0, and 3.0 was a really solid system. 3.5 was even better. Oh, shoot. The originals were solid systems. Yeah. Right, right. I'm just, when I heard that there were some that were even more <laughs> simplified, you got to remember infantry, right? I, I don't do the math. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, all right. So, what about you, Chris? What, uh, what would you like to see before I answer? Well, I'd like to see a resurgence of GURPS. I don't even know if anybody, anybody's using it anymore. And I'd like to see someone port Starship Troopers into GURPS. I, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. I used to play every Friday from about 6 p.m. until Sunday about 4 a.m. before I finally crashed. And so, uh, just in case you don't know, GURPS stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. And it's a, uh, it's a generic template that was created in 1986, I think, right? It sounds right. Um, and um, it was basically that you could – the base to create your own RPGs in various settings. And then people released in that metric um, various games you know, where they created from that base. But GURPS is the base that um, a lot of smaller RPG worlds used as, as the foundation. So as far as me, since I asked the question, I'll answer it as well. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see the Galaxy's Edge universe as a tabletop game or, or as, a, as a straight RPG. I'm really enjoying those. Um, and the other one that I don't think a series that hasn't gotten as much love as I would like is B.V. Larson's Undying Mercenaries. I think there's definitely a lot of ro- room for that world to become so- even larger. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. So, and, and I was going to, I mentioned in the notes, I said that I would have suggested the Four Horsemen universe because I think for an RPG setting, it could be fun, except I think they're already getting one. So I don't know that it qualifies. But if I'm wrong, I think that could make an interesting RPG as well. Yeah, I think it could. So, not that I'm a little biased because uh, Chris and I both wrote short stories in that universe. So, shameless plug. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> wrong with that. Did you ever play the so, game called Twilight 2000, either of you? No, no, but I've heard of it. Uh, we played a and lot of that. Play? Sort of a uh, it had sparkly uh, vampires. I mean, it came out I think in the eighties. <laughs> I was young, and then they did another system. But it's it's basically a, a post Holocaust set in the year two thousand after the Soviet Union attacks West Germany before 
that Germany is united. So it didn't age well. <laughs> no, it did not age well. Um, but it was fascinating. They had like bubonic plague come back and they had dysentery you had to deal with and all the normal things that you have to deal with, water supply, food, transit, refugees from cities, um, bands, wow. like old companies of Soviets that just went rogue and took over a town, stuff like that. It was fun. nice. Another one I'd be interested in finding out more, but I've got a – once life calms down enough that, you know – that I have the time and I'm not writing. Um, I'd like to get into some more, definitely more role playing. I know, uh, boss man, Tim Taylor recommended the traveler system that he played as a sci-fi. Um, yeah, that, that he, he said that was a lot of fun as well. So maybe they could revamp that one for the modern age. That could be interesting. Traveler's not bad. I think they do have a new edition of it run by mongoose games. Okay. You we'll have to check that out. It's fun. So, uh, other than RPGs, are there any specific scientific uh, breakthroughs that you're following or excited by? Besides AI, right? Because <laughs> we've done <laughs> that one to death. <laughs> um, quantum computing, I think, is interesting. They've got quantum communications, I think, that are going to be unbreakable, at least as far as we know. And um, maybe some of the drone technology, I think. What do you think about the military? Do you think it's going to be automated in the near future? I think uh, some of it we we've talked about in that tech episode. So you really, if you haven't listened to it, you should go. It's a lot of fun. But they, uh, Israel has been weaponizing their drones with um, sniper rifles, so they can take out um, more surgically enemy snipers or mortar teams or, or whatever. So I think that's definitely you know a, a step in that direction. Um, and then the counter to that is some of the extremists in Russia have been attacking Russian bases by sending, like basically weaponizing drones, and they've been attacking their fighter planes uh, by, by sending the drone into the engine Wow! while it was in the air. That's really clever, actually, and that's inexpensive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you, you blow up a multi-million dollar plane with, what, a few thousand dollars in drone? Maybe not even yeah, that, a couple hundred plus- bucks. And they can make most of it in their basement or whatever. In fact, that's one of the things uh, we want to have him on at some point in time. William Fri- uh, Frisbee Jr. He's, he wrote the um, uh, infantry book. It's a it's basically for science fiction writers, infantry. Um, and it's like it breaks down, you know, takes all of the military manuals and it sort of summarizes all of them. It's pretty good. I beta read for it. Um, and he, he talks about some of that, how warfare is changing. And, and so, so a lot of you know, what we think of as the cold war tactics, I wouldn't be surprised where it's, you know, the minor stuff. I don't imagine we're going to have another all out world war three, for instance, that lasts long. It'll go nuclear and be over in a hot minute. I have a suspicion it won't even go nuclear. That's what I mean. It's just the technology as the technology gets greater. I don't know. I I think it's going to go more low key and you're going to end up with insurgencies from smaller powers um, fighting asymmetrical warfare. That's what I think, too. I think nuclear weapons are almost obsolete. Unless you can smuggle them in. I think they're ICBMs and stuff can get shot down from satellites. Yeah, but it's the dirty bombs and the yellow cake and, right. and, and all of that that's going to be mm-hmm. telling. I mean, look at what that... I think it was in Japan that they had the, um, um, the train where they set off the gas. I mean, low-key is it. Or, or look what happened to America when we had the, uh, the DC sniper. Uh, you know oh, what I mean? Right. Like so, the, yeah. the, right. the the it doesn't take as much for one because medicine has advanced to the point where it is people aren't dying on a regular basis. Like it's you know it's not oh he's three yeah you know we lose a couple every year. It, it's more meaningful, and so because of that, because life isn't as cheap in a modern world, the tolerance for losses in combat is a lot greater. And you saw that with the. Um, political reaction to the the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm not like, we're not going political. We stay out of that, this podcast, but just as an example of the tolerance for, for loss of life just isn't as there as much. And you started seeing that probably right around Vietnam when they started with the news channels everywhere. So I definitely think it's going to change warfare. So I've seen some, um, science fiction where they had basically like robots fought in a field. There was, weren't even people in the robots. They just, they fought in a field, to, uh, to do okay. it out. And then there was a um, – <laughs> oh, it was the same people that made Stripes did a movie, a, uh, a spoof or whatever, where the world leaders met in a boardroom and they played Axis and Allies to determine the war. <laughs> I have no problem uh, with that. I, I think that would be fine. It was, 
It was the one where they had the RV that invaded Canada, I think. I don't know. No, Spies Like Us. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Chevy Chase. Yeah. Yeah, Chevy Chase. It's hilarious. <laughs> so if you haven't watched that, you really should. Although that's another one of those ones that was sort of new age tech kind of thing that now it's like, Winnebago? What? That's supposed to be, you know, high tech. Right. <laughs> What I so, think the what about, future warfare is going to be um, collapsing the economies or doing attacks on their stock market and stuff like that. I think that's much more efficient. There was um, – have you read any of Chris Kennedy's um, um, per- Dakotas Rejects series? No, I haven't. In in that series, it starts off – the first series about it is called Red Tide Rising. He did it in a series of uh, – there's the duology and then two trilogies and he's starting the third trilogy. Uh, but in the Red Tide Rising that sets that book up, basically it's the Ch- the Chinese invade Seattle um, because of all the business yeah, and, and the West. They start on the West Coast, and it ends up with a, a cyber war back and forth as part of this conflict. And somebody uses technology to open the dams uh, in right. China, wow. and then both here, and then here they had they had an instance where they shut down the power grid, so you know anybody in a hospital dead. So I mean, there's definitely, and we haven't. Our uh, infrastructure grids are so antiquated; it's not even fun. Yeah, they're very vulnerable. The power grid Three and stuff like that could be a huge problem. The, the modern man in America would not survive very long without power or without access to food. That's just a fact. I think they said the grocery stores was it three days supplies. They'd have to they'd have to barricade it because they'd just be emptied out within a day. <laughs> we see that whenever there's a tornado or a hurricane, people just go in and take everything. Yeah, I don't get the joke right. speaking about that in the South where they talk about milk and bread. Like, really? No, I'm buying steaks and beer, dang it. <laughs> people need to grow their own stuff, you know, and people need to get back mm-hmm. to some of the basics, I think. I know, speaking of food, we keep getting messages. Like, uh, my wife gets these emails from, from the Wise company that does the emergency food. So I, I know there are companies out there that cater to it. The, the issue most people have, though, believe it or not, for all we have, you know, the bigger homes, they don't have as much space for storage. So they don't have anywhere to store this food. That's true. That's so true. a lot of people, it's like, well, I'd like to get all this, but you know, where am I going to put it? Yeah. Because, you know, everyone's more and more urban. So, but uh, what about you, Chris? What, it's, uh, what tech are you following this, this week? Well, I was going to say quantum computing, but <clears throat> someone stole that idea. Whoops. Bad guess. Bad guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand what these quantum computers do. I understand they run hot. I understand that they have to be refrigerated very, very cold so they don't melt down. But I'm also thinking be, the claim is that they process faster than anything that, that we currently have and that scientists can't completely explain what happens inside of them except that they work uh, and if you want skynet well this is how you get skynet but mm-hmm. okay so the um you know this is where normally listeners chris is supposed to ask me the same question in return but he's being so rude to me today all i did was send him a box of crown <laughs> so he can have some breakfast and he gets all bent out of shape and i understand what's wrong with these marines these days he didn't but- send me any floss Oh, damn. First, I failed again. So so I've been actually reading. uh, It was a Forbes.com article. As usual, it'll be in the show notes. But uh, there's a new startup company called Rocket Lab, which is uh, working on getting a rocket. They've already successfully gotten it into orbit. But there looks like they might be the new game in town competing with Virgin Galactic and uh, Elon Musk. So I think the more players in the game we have, the faster this uh, exodus from terra firma. Hey, so let's get a couple. Up, you know, let's set up a colony on Mars. Let's do something. Why? Why does everyone go to Mars first? Why not the Moon? It's more attainable. We could do that with the tech we've got now, and still be close enough to send help if we need to. But everyone wants to go to Mars. I get it's cool. I, I watched uh, that's. What's this Schwarzenegger movie, Total Recall? I watched it too, but come on, <laughs> the, the problem moon with Mars is, there. is there's no water, but you have access to water in Mars. You've got gravity. Uh, there is a problem, but if you use the EM drive, I think you can get there in three weeks. I I've been reading that. about the electro. We are uh, speaking of that tech episode. Oh, no, ion been, drive. Yeah, the ion drive. That thing is amazing. I, I'm blown away by the technology. Anything that says this thing can exist and it's existing. 
mind blown, right? I love it. Send me more of that stuff. I'm still amazed at how right Einstein was on so much stuff that was just like in his head because he didn't have the technology to to do these theoretic, you know, like before computers were what we have now. He did that all in his head. Right. His head slides on paper chalkboard. Could you imagine what he could have accomplished if he had been born today? The problem with him is that he got stuck. He got stuck in the quantum problem and he couldn't beat it. And there was another German scientist who said, no, this is actually how it works. And he was the right one. And Einstein was wrong. And well, Einstein spent yeah. the last half of his life trying to disprove it. And at the end, he said, my whole life, the last half of my life has been a total waste because I haven't been able to disprove it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look how much he accomplished. If if half of your life is a waste and you do as much as he did, then I'd still call that a win. Oh, there, oh no question about it. His influence upon the scientific community is without merit, right? No, I'm sorry, without question. It's huge. It's expansive and it can't be taken away. But at the same time, if you get locked into a certain scientific fundamentalist attitude and say it has to work this way and it can't work any other ways, these rules that we've set, like Newton's laws, we shouldn't look at them as laws. It, it really creates a barrier around your mind. Right. And, as usual, send the hate mail to Chris at. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because the EM drive, according to Newton's theories and laws, doesn't work, but it does work. Well, the other right. thing that, that they, when we talk about, you know, the. You have to be willing to think outside of the box. And that doesn't mean you believe every two-bit theory like the earth is flat or whatever. Oh, my God. I'm going to get the hate mail now. But the um, – What do you mean it's not flat? (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) But, I mean, there's definitely room to think. We used to think that if we were going to find life on another planet, it had to be carbon-based. But in the sulfur flats, they found microscopic organisms that were sulfur-based. So, I mean, you know – Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's definitely – I mean right now it's like clearly it's microscopic. But you know what we know about the reality we live in is just microscopic. So – but anyway. So there was uh, – the, the reference is a 2010, by the way, for the sulfur flats. The uh, um, discovery of the arsenic bug dis- expands the definition of life came from a science uh, – NASA's um, science magazine online. By the way, and let me just grow. one quick question before we before we wrap this up. What do you think about transhumanism? I think that's the only way to beat the AI problem. Transhumanism. I don't know what that means. <laughs> transhumanism is the idea of expanding the human um, experience and the human body into something else. Not necessarily with cyberware or whatever, something like that, but maybe through DNA manipulation. Ooh, I see. I think it's a slippery slope when you start manipulating life. You end up with the designer babies, and and uh, I don't know. That's that weird. It's either that or the AI. That's your choice. Uh, I I think we fight both. The zombie apocalypse is we can't start itself. Because if we if we say we're not going to have an AI. Not every nation's going to abide by that. Well, I didn't. So we lose. You could have an, an AI that's just not sentient. Self-awareness. I think it'll become sentient. Just give it 100 years. It, it doesn't really matter when it becomes sentient. The fact is it will at some point. So then mm-hmm. what do you do? It's a race. The first person to create a sentient AI is going to rule the planet. Well, no, because... They'll be able to predict a predictive network, just like Google is. The, the, the issue only becomes an issue is when the AI um, becomes self-aware. And until then, it's, it's limited by the, the scope of its code. So, but what happens when it becomes self-aware? Um, I'll be long dead, so I'm not worried about so. it too much. <laughs> I'm not even sure. I hope I'm long dead. <laughs> I think we'll live to see it. That's what I think. Well, uh, we know we know uh, we all are on the Dead Robot Society podcast, and we all know Terry Mixon welcomes his robot overlord. So I guess <laughs> I guess that would make him the chancellor of the uh, overlord IBM. I don't know. I'm just I'm just terrified of the whole thing. I don't know what to do. It's like we're stuck. Stephen Hawkins. It's, it's like humanity just goes to keep on inventing without looking in the future. You know, mm. we did the same thing with nuclear weapons. I don't yeah, know. I'm torn same thing on this with one. TNT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Okay. All right. So before we uh, we let you go, um, why don't you tell the people where they can find you, the the people, the, the listeners? Sure. Um, you can find me at uh, the Zuckerberg Facebook Overlords. Uh, <laughs> Maxwell Rudolph is my name, of course. You can find me at Maxwell Rudolph Blog WordPress.com. That's my blog that I'm I need to start using no matter what. I'm on Amazon where you can find my book and then my sequels that are going to come out this year. And that's about it. Oh, and Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Ooh, the Twitter. All right. And um, Chris, can you tell the the listeners where they can find us? Yes, our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. We're on Twitter at SFS, that's Sierra, Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. And our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.